Before he was elected Pope, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the future Pope, but current German theologian, scholar, and bishop, gave a series of radio interviews, and many people turned to these as a form of almost prediction or prophecy. I believe uh, Pope Benedict was actually a little hesitant to qualify them as prophecy, just kind of recognizing the difficulty of doing that. Nevertheless, despite his own uh, kind of with uh, hesitations or caveats for giving this set of reflections on what he thought the future might look like for the church, uh, it looks like we're headed very much in the direction of what he predicted. And I want to share that with you. From the crisis of today, the church of tomorrow will emerge, a church that has lost much. She will become small and will have to start afresh more or less from the beginning. She will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices she built in prosperity. As the number of her adherents diminishes, so she will lose many of her social privileges. In contrast to an earlier age, it will be seen much more like a voluntary society entered only by free decision. There's a whole lot more to it, and I would recommend uh, reading or uh, or finding those kind of more of those reflections if you can. Ignatius Press published those in book form in a, in a, a volume called Faith and the Future by Cardinal Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict XVI. But we wanted to talk about the reality of, of what this might be. So, uh, the, you know, this could be 100 years in the future. It could be 10 years in the future. Uh, but we at least wanted to, to kind of do this little mental experiment of preparing for what that church could look like. Because if it comes upon us, and especially if it comes upon us sooner than we would expect, and definitely sooner than we would like, we would want to be prepared. And we want to know how we can still be saints, how we can do exactly what the Lord wants us to, even if the church doesn't look like the church we grew up in or the church we long to see. So he points to, uh, you know, a couple of things there. Um, some of the things like uh, being smaller and having to start afresh, not enjoying some of the privileges and, and inhabiting the edifices she built in prosperity. And some of the things that initially come to mind for a small, probably poorer church, uh, one, will just have fewer resources, especially financial resources. There will be fewer buildings. Uh, we might not have these grand, glorious churches that we'd like to have, and we might not have the social halls and all of the classrooms and all of the I mean, these just great resources that we have in terms of brick and mortar buildings. Uh, there's probably going to be at some point, or I don't want to say probably, but there could be fewer members of the faithful and very likely could be fewer members of the clergy. Now, initially that might scare us and it might make us think like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And I think, you know, one of the, the simplest things to say is just to remember that's how the church started with uh, a very small number who were very poor. They had no buildings and they had very few clergy. And yet that was the seed of the church we know today. It was the seed of Christendom and the momentum that that early church developed with the Holy Spirit carried us through 2000 years. And more than anything to me, that story gives me hope. And even if we are on this trajectory of becoming a small church again, knowing that that is how the Lord initially caused us to, to grow so rapidly, it just lets me know there's hope for the future. There's hope that we could still obtain that type of growth. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, what this could mean. And this is going to be a solo episode, so it's just me this time. Justin is taking the week off. And let's look at some of the, the differences that we might see here. So if we had fewer clergies, 
uh, for fewer members of the clergy. Realistically, this would mean fewer opportunities to attend Sunday Mass. And, uh, you know, while that we might think, oh my gosh, how, how am I going to do that? Think about it this way. I don't know about you, but within 20 minutes of where I live, there are four Catholic churches. And those four churches all have multiple Mass times on Sunday. And there's in, some of them have uh, a Sunday vigil. They all have multiple Sunday morning. And they all have a Saturday vigil Mass. If I expand that radius to about 30 minutes, there are probably nine parishes. And there's at least 12 priests that cover that radius. So what we might think, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to manage? Realistically, it's just going to mean we're driving a little further to go to Mass. And uh, it's probably going to be a little bit more crowded. And we might not have the options available to us. But we're driving to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. We're driving to offer perfect sacrifice to the Father. We're driving to be bound up in the family of God, being reconciled again to the Father through the Son and offered with him as the sacrifice to the Father. That's worth the drive. So, uh, but let's just think about, like, what are we actually called to do as Catholics? Because we have, I think, in our mind this, uh, this set of activities and set of behaviors that constitute for us Catholicism. This is what a good Catholic does. And some of those things are absolutely essential. Others, though, are less essential. They're nice. Um, but they're not the, you could say, it, you're not sinning if you omit from doing any of those. So what are we called to do? Of course, we're called to go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. We're called to go to confession. We're called to receive the Eucharist at least once a year. We're called to provide for the material needs of the church. If you have children, you promise to raise your children in the faith. If you're married, you have you promise to live according to the vows of your sacrament. And of course, no matter what sacrament you enter into, you are called to live according to the promises you make at that sacrament. And we're called to spread the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. If the church were smaller, what would what would change with those things? Well, most of us have opportunities to go to confession very, very frequently. But even if there were far fewer priests and far fewer churches, we'd still probably have the opportunity to go to confession at least once a year. We'd have the opportunity then to receive the Eucharist once a year. Uh, going to Mass on Sundays, that's, I think, for the foreseeable future, still going to be very possible. Uh, of course, there may be far fewer Masses, and we may have to drive further. But I think we would all agree we're willing to do that. Uh, holy days, that might be challenging, but if there's no Holy Day Mass offered within uh, a reasonable driving distance from us, it's understandable that we would be exempt from that. As we're, we're in a time right now where many of us have been exempted from our Sunday obligation because of the severity of uh, the COVID pandemic, but um, I think we understand, you know, there's, there's definitely people who are exempt from their obligation to attend Sunday Mass and Mass on Holy Days of Obligation just because there's no mass available to them. I think I've, I've gone to the Dominican Republic a number of times and my friends there who live up on the mountain hours and hours away from the nearest church, they don't have the opportunity to go to mass and they are able to receive when a priest comes to them. And it might be on a Sunday. It might not be. It might be on a holy day. It might not be, uh, but they're grateful for that whenever they have it available. So what do we do then? If this is going to be the state of the church, the state of our church at some point in our lifetime, I think uh, 
we step back and we say, okay, what, what does it mean to be Catholic? What has the Lord called me to do? Yeah, there's, there's these precepts of the church that we covered. We go to Mass, we go to confession, we receive the Eucharist, we pray, we provide for the material needs of the church, we raise our children in the faith, and we evangelize. We can do all of those things, no matter how big the church is, no matter how uh, illustrious the church is, no matter how many resources the church has. Granted, those things can be a lot easier to do, and, and our work can be facilitated to a great degree by all of those things. But if the church has less money, fewer buildings, fewer faithful, and fewer clergy, we can still do everything we need to do. And even if it got to the point where there were no clergy available to us, then we would still, like, we, you know, it's not like we're sinning by not going to Mass if there's no Mass celebrated. And there's sometimes, um, you know, just as a father and a husband, I think through the worst case scenarios to, um, to be comfortable with what would happen uh, or what I would do as a father if that were to happen. So let's say I were to lose my job and were to, to lose some resources or lose my ability to work. Well, I, I think through that and say, okay, I would have to tighten up my expenses and I would cut every single unnecessary expense that I had and I would limit things severely and I'd, I'd probably uh, spend a lot less money on, on foods that I might like to eat but that I don't need to eat and I wouldn't be buying new clothes unless it were absolutely essential for an interview and uh, there might be uh, luxuries and subscriptions that I would cancel, that kind of thing. might have to pause the podcast for a little while and uh, while I was looking for other jobs. Uh, and it's, I find it's very helpful for me to go through that exercise because it helps me to not panic or not be afraid of the unknown future. And of course, I would trust in the Lord and I would pray that the Lord would give me the opportunity and the resources I needed to provide for my family. And I would work and work and work until I made that happen. And I think all of us, we, we recognize we would do the same thing in that situation. And you know, switching from our own personal lives, if we suffered some catastrophe to the church, if the church really does suffer this catastrophe that Pope Benedict predicted, really, it would just mean we work harder. And uh, I'm not saying that would be fun. It would definitely be a challenge. It would be different for us. But at the same time, it would give us an opportunity to, uh, to make great sacrifices, to dig deep, and to really live the faith with intentionality and to live it deliberately. So, uh, another thing I was thinking about is um, if we immediately think of our our inability to go to Sunday Mass, a question I think we can ask ourselves is, what does this reveal about how much a part of our life the church is? Does the church, or rather, does our entire relationship with Jesus, does it punctuate or does it permeate our schedule? And when I say punctuate, I mean, are there these important moments in our week where we participate in the life of the church? And if so, that's great. But what I mean by permeate is if our relationship with God is omnipresent, then those moments where we're able to celebrate Mass, where we're able to receive the sacraments, those are these high points, but they are, they're still a part of this, this overall schedule where we're encountering the Lord, where we're drawing near to Him, where we're experiencing Him, and where we're leading others to Him. And I think that's, that's probably what St. Paul would mean by saying something like life in the Spirit, is we never leave, we never depart from the presence of God. And I know when, I, at least for myself, if I'm honest, it's a struggle to, to think like, well, I, don't, I won't have something I want. And there's something that I perceive is very valuable, valuable to me, which indeed it is, the Eucharist. But if, if it's the case that it's just harder to get, if it's a little further, or uh, I have to, to be with more people, and so therefore Mass is longer, 
well, that's still valuable to me and that's still worthwhile. But more importantly, if that's my extent and in, in my, my experience of Catholicism, I think I'm not embracing the mission of the church enough because the Lord has asked me to go out and to proclaim the gospel to all nations, not just to, to go to mass and to do something for me to participate and, and think, okay, what am I getting? But to build a community and to allow that love of God to flourish in my family and in my neighborhood and in my friendships. So really what I think this would, this will mean if the church becomes smaller and the parish maybe doesn't have the same resources, this means that families and homes become missionary outposts. And rather than a church structure where uh, everybody kind of flocks to the parish and that's the, the kind of our paradigm of, well, what does church look like? Church looks like this big migration once or multiple times a week to this one geographical location, and then we disperse until we come again. That's still going to be a part of it because we're still, God willing, going to participate in, in our Sunday liturgies and hopefully additional liturgies beyond that. But then once we go to our supply depot where we're uh, you know, renewed and refreshed and uh, and, and given the grace of the Eucharist, then we go back out to our missionary outposts where we continue spreading the good news of God. And I think that is the, that's going to be the source of great fruit for the church because families are going to have opportunities to evangelize that the, the greater institutional church just doesn't have. And if the church has, has lost some of, as uh, Pope Benedict mentioned, some of those edifices in society that she used to inhabit that were built in prosperity, if we've lost those, the people who have gained them are individuals, people who are still uh, faithful, who still love the Lord, who are still passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We People are curious about us. They're curious about the way we live because we look different and they want to know what's up with those people. And so the more we can allow them into our life, the more we can share our way of life with them, the more they can be convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's worthwhile to follow him and to give their whole life for him. So uh, I just want to, I think more than anything, we should just be encouraged. And, you know, that would be the case no matter what we're going on in the world. And that's because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and has given us the Holy Spirit to carry us on in this great mission of sharing who he is with the world. And that's the source of our hope. The source of our hope shouldn't be the prosperity of the church, the number of priests we have, the, the number of beautiful buildings we have. Those are all very good things, but they're not the source of our hope. That is Jesus and him alone. So if your home is to become a missionary outpost, how do you do that? Well, I'll borrow from one of the themes from the book that Justin and I wrote. And it's called the Discipleship Funnel. It's one of the key frameworks. And it's basically, whenever we're engaged in ministry, we need to understand our efforts as playing one of three roles in the work of evangelization. Either we are casting a wide net, that's the that first early step, that puts us in contact with a lot of people and gives us an opportunity to go deeper in relationship with them so that they can begin to develop trust in Jesus or a representative of his church. Then we establish real, meaningful, deep relationships, deep friendships with no strings attached. We do this by inviting people to our house to attend uh, some of our hobbies or activities with us. So uh, what's casting a wide net? What could that look like on an individual level? Well, you're probably already doing it, but just getting to know people. So 
engaging in things in the world that expose you to new people so that they can see who you are as a Catholic and become curious about your life. So that means just uh, doing things that are going to put you in the path of other people. I'm not saying you need to do this for all people in all walks of life, but I'm sure if you if you spend just a few minutes thinking about it, you'll realize, huh, these are the people that the Lord has already put near me who I could invite into a deeper relationship. So maybe it's because you go to a gym or you're part of a spinning class or you're part of this club or uh, you really enjoy photography or you're a teacher or you volunteer in this group. Those are the mission fields. That's where you're going to find an opportunity to invite people. And then you just invite them to your home or to your hobby, to your activity, to spend more time together and allow those friendships to flourish. And don't rush them. Just know that they will flourish in time. They will become what the Lord wants them to be. And then finally, once there's a sense of trust established and people have become a little more curious and open to what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, we can invite them. We can ask them if they have ever considered that and then be ready to to share, share with them how they can develop that relationship. So no matter what the size of the church, I don't think our job is going to change much. It might be a little harder uh, and it might be a little bit more, even, even more dangerous, but it's still going to be the same. So let's pray that uh, the church never gets so small that we don't have an opportunity to go to Mass on a, on a regular basis, not just Sunday, but uh, daily, and that we can attend Holy Days of Obligation with freedom wherever we want and, and sometimes whenever we want, and that we have access to the Sacrament of Confession as well as all of the other sacraments whenever we feel like the Lord is calling us to those. So, uh, friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Being and Making Disciples. God bless you. Please pray for us and know that we are praying for you. And if you haven't yet picked up a copy of our book, Go Make Disciples, we highly recommend it. We think it would be a great resource to you in your effort to make more disciples of Jesus Christ, to bring more people into touch with him. Uh, And we would also really appreciate it if you would share this podcast with people you know who uh, wants to learn to evangelize more or who you think might be interested in this. So that could be a priest, it could be religious, it could be anybody involved in parish ministry. We want this to be a resource for them so that anybody can have this great library of tools for becoming better, more equipped missionary disciples. Thank you so much and God bless you.